In this episode of the Encourage Inspire podcast, I'm joined by disability advocate and author and entrepreneur, Latoya V. Smith. This was a great episode, man. Latoya and I actually met on social media during in the Full Sail Networking Group. And what I loved about Latoya is that obviously we're both Full Sail grads, that she has a specific passion for helping disabled business owners really get government contracts and learn how to turn their side hustles into legitimate businesses and have access to money that's there often how the people don't even know about you know we talked about you know the fact that the reason why she decided to to pursue this is because she grew up with people that were different than her because of her growing up in a poor neighborhood in brooklyn she just always knew how to get along with pretty much anybody and everybody and the fact that she just you know was open to people she said most people aren't um aren't used to that because they don't have to make an intentional effort to get used to people that look like look different than them we talked about networking and the fact that it's not taught well at the collegiate level and the fact that it needs to be done better so that people actually have an opportunity to gain employment and to actually build a career um, through having a powerful network and that even sometimes for creatives looking at opportunities outside of the traditional creative space but still being able to use their creativity and their skill set to be to be of value to people hope you guys enjoyed this episode take care everyone welcome to another episode of the encourage inspire podcast and this is your host Darrell Peart and I have with me a very special guest uh, Latoya V Smith uh, we are she's the she is the owner of 3s tech and talents outreach am I saying that right um 3s tech and talent LLC yeah so 3s tech and LLC and it was cool because uh, we, you and I connected on social media in the Full Cell Networking Group. Right. And I, and you know, I po- obviously I'm a Full Cell University grad. I love Full Cell University. Uh, it's a great, great place. And, you know, people who have attended Full Cell will all tell you the, the same thing, right? Yes. Uh, <laughs> um, are you a grad? Yes, actually, I have a Master of Science for their Education Media Design uh, Technology Program, uh, which is a long way of saying instructional design today. Oh, but, yes. uh, <laughs> I completed their master's program in 2013. Okay, so, oh, okay, cool. So you've been out for a little while. Yeah, I started in February of 2013, so yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I think I pointed out before we were ships passing because uh, we're both from you know Brooklyn, New York, migrated yeah. to Florida, and both went to full sail. <laughs> yeah, interesting, right? You know, I mean, I, I always tell people I'm a native New Yorker, but I'm a, I'm a Florida. I grew up in Orlando, that's all I know. You know, okay. I don't even know New York. I mean, my family's there. My dad has been there. My mom grew up there. Joined my family's there. My dad's obviously there. He'll never leave New York. He'll be he'll be bored out of his mind. You know, he, <laughs> like, you know, he's one of them Jamaicans that are just. We wouldn't even know what to, you know, 
what to do with himself. So, you know, right. you are, and then my, I have a twin sister. I have two sisters, actually. One is my twin, and she since moved back to New York. She grew up here in Orlando, spent about, you know, most of her childhood and in, in, in early adulthood here in Orlando, and has since moved back to New York since, like, 2012. So she, so she is enjoying life up there. Me, me personally, okay. I, I couldn't go back, nor would I want to go back. You know, Ooh, so no. at this point, you know, so yeah, but um, it would be challenging for me to go back as well. <laughs> I hate, and I'm hearing it's it's so expensive up there now. You know what I mean? Right. Well, so, I yeah, I was also in New York for nine eleven, so mm. I have like a psychological block for not wanting to live there or in metro major metropolitan areas with my family now. <laughs> Understood. Understood. Definitely. You know, I understand. I mean, nine eleven was such a, uh, you know, traumatic experience for so many people. I remember exactly where I was. I was a junior in high school, in Miss Maldino's geometry class. Right. And that was when you know everything kind of happened. You know what I mean? Right. It was, you know, um, yeah. It was. It, it's, it's still still good. Twenty years, twenty plus years later. <laughs> You know, it definitely still has, has a lot of impact on a lot of people, you know, <laughs> um, for sure. But, um, you know, what was interesting about, you know, you and I is obviously that you obviously don't have a disability and you, you know, you created a company kind of centered around helping people with disabilities. I thought that was really, really cool, you know, because my podcast is called the Encourage and Inspire Podcast. And I usually cover one of three topics and that's, um, Usually, disability awareness, music, business topics, and or people's people's whose stories encourage and inspire me. So, I, it's always cool to have somebody who is an advocate for for people with disabilities. And for, it's oftentimes we're oftentimes a community that gets forgotten about. Yes. In all aspects of life, you know, mm-hmm. and I'm so always say I'm very fortunate because I have always had I've always loved people. My personality has has I feel like it's always saved my life, but I, what I will say is that, um, and I've talked about, we've talked about this briefly, you know, in commenting back and forth on, on Facebook, but I said, you know, it's affected me the most, I think, in the dating world because I have, I feel like I have to navigate certain things that a lot of people, a lot of people don't have to think about, you know what I mean? And, right. And I mean, and the people have people always say, well, you, oh, there's somebody out there for everybody. And I'm like, no, that's not true. That's not true. You know what I mean? That's just people, people, like that's people's, there's people trying to look at the world through rose-colored glasses. And I try not to do that. I just try to look for a place of reality, right? right? Because the truth is, in most situations, the man meets the woman and if everything goes well, that man hopefully chooses that woman and, you know, decides to, to court her and do whatever she's going to do. But ultimately, you know, he, he makes that decision, right? Um, but as I said, in my case, I always say, I feel like in most people, like, a, a woman have to, would have to choose me. Right. And, and, and what comes along with that, you know what I mean? So mm-hmm. and not, everybody's, not everybody's willing to sign up for that, you know what I mean? That, that's a fact. I don't got how you slice that pie, how you dress it up, you know, it is what it is, you know. And well, I, go ahead. There's, there's definitely um, a, a way of approaching it. Um, 
me being a little obsessive compulsive and not too much of a control freak, but I, when it was, you know, I decided it was time to look, I think I, I mentioned to you before my husband and I met on eHarmony right. and, you know, took a lot of that back and forth and <laughs> the game playing and role playing out of the equation and just got down to the business of, are we, are we a good match? You know, can even today, 16 going on 17 years later still being able to finish finish each other's sentences and know what the other person is going to do before they even think about it and that sort of connection is is something I do say that is possible um the problem is you have lots of people with good intentions who you know kind of leave you scarred (laughs) yeah it's, it's true you know it's true so that that's why I always try to um, through just my person, my, my personality, my approach to life, is to at least just try to hey, try to show people that hey, we are, we're vi- we are viable. We are people that shouldn't be um, forgotten about or looked past or whatever you want to call it, you know. But but we are human beings and productive in our society, and I think I think that's what's really really important and one of the things I, I'm really. I'm really passionate about when I talk about this type of stuff. Right. I think part of it is you do have, um, there are lots of people today more so than when I was, you know, younger who aren't necessarily sheltered, but they are raised in a bubble, uh, a social bubble where the exposure is limited. And I am surprised at how many people I've come across uh, in my adult life who don't have experience with others outside of their demographic or outside of their um, their comfort zone. Um, I, everything okay? Yeah, hold on one second, hold on one second. Right. <laughs> okay. Yeah. No, I, I was just, um, highlighting that we get to the situation where lots of people don't have that exposure uh, because of their social bubbles. There are new barriers being erected because people don't have, they're not engaging, they're not socializing, and they're not spending time around those who do not look or uh, behave or have the same interests as them. And for me, growing up in a, you know, poor neighborhood in Brooklyn, I didn't have a choice of who my classmates were, you know, so right. whether they were Hispanic, Black, um, Latino, um, if they were disabled, uh, whether they had a developmental or physical disability, mm-hmm. they were my classmates and th- I made friends with everyone. Um, I had a blind organist in my choir growing up. I had neighbors who, because of our living situation, were on disability. So they, you know, having exposure to those sorts of members of the community at a younger age definitely, I think, makes a difference. But today we are distancing ourselves and segmenting ourselves um, at every opportunity rather than working to become more inclusive and diverse. And I think over the last 20 years, we've erected so many walls, we have to make an intentional effort to join in and welcome others into our circles. I totally agree. 
I totally agree. I think it, it, it takes an effort to want to do those things and want to befriend people or, or, or get to know people who don't look, who may not look like we expect them to look or talk like we expect them to talk or move like we expect them to move, you know? Um, and I think I, I always, always, it always is like, man, I mean, if people only knew that it's almost like I call it that group think, right? That I think in psychology, they call it the single story stereotype. Okay. Uh, I love, you know, where it's like, you think about, okay, you think about Africa. So you watch, you watch, a documentary or something you think everybody in Africa is poor living and they live in like small tiny huts and things like that and right. that's the farthest thing from the truth but there's a lot of people in in, in Africa that live very very um wealthy and, and privileged lives right you know what I mean so I think people like especially like me have a cerebral palsy this, you don't even know there's five different kinds of cerebral palsy. Okay. You know, and so I have spastic diplegia, which is the most common form of it. And it basically just means, you know, when you lift my legs up to a certain point, the muscle in my legs get tight, right? But I'm gotcha. fortunate because I have full range of mobility in my upper body. So it only really affects the lower half of my body, right? right. So. I went to driving school in 2003 to learn how to drive with the hand controls. Okay. Um, so I did that for a while. Uh, the, um, I know you're probably familiar with vocational rehabilitation. You know, yes. So familiar with them. Yeah, so they, they paid, you know, so they've always paid for my schooling. You know, they paid for me to go to, when I went to college the first go around, they paid for that. When I went to driving school, they paid for that. Um, but the, the, the two occupational therapists at the time that were trained to teach people how to drive, they felt like the physical part of driving I could do was moving the gas and the brake. They felt like at the time, the mental part of it, they felt like I wasn't grasping quickly enough in the road for, okay. them, to leave to, for them to release me on my own, you know? So, so that was in 2000. That was probably in the spring of 04. And they had said, we'll come back in five years or whatever, or, or you know, and try it again. And I, of course I never did. And, and obviously nowadays, you know, we have, we have lift, we have a lot of, you know, we have car shares and all the stuff we have. So it's never, it's not really, it's obviously hindered me a little bit, but it has never really completely stopped me from right. doing where I want to go and doing things I want to do. Even though I'm, I'm home, I'm usually home most days anyway. <laughs> <laughs> if, I, if I have to go someplace, um, I can get there, you know. So, but I, but I just love the fact that you dedicated your, you know, your most recent work into into being a vehicle, creating vehicles for um, minorities and, and service disabled and veteran owned small businesses, you know, and small business owners. I think I think that's that's awesome. Because a lot of times, too, people don't think that it adds disabled people that there are disabled business owners. You know what I mean? Again, yes. again a, lot, a lot of it is a society. A lot of it just comes down to people have an idea of what they think they know, and then they don't really know. You know, I mean, most right. you know, going back to well, the date, going back to the dating aspect of it. You know, I'm on all the dating apps, right? So, I usually when I'm when I'm talking or conversating with 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 women on the dating apps. I, it's like an interview, 
So I try to ask the same questions over. I, you know, I'm kind of, <laughs> it's like clockwork now. Like I know exactly, you know, and, and, and most of them, most of them will say, hey, I've heard of it. You know, I've heard of you by name, but they don't necessarily know what it means or what it, how it affects or what it does. So, I mean, I try to just make, try to just be, um, be some, be a light to people, at least be somebody that, at least when they think about somebody disabled, at least it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a positive experience, if I, if I, yes. say, I must say, right? And then there's, I, you know, have four teenage boys and one of the things that, you know, my husband and I and my brother uh, try to instill in them is set an example and not the typical example for when people, when you meet people, you know, if you can make that impression, you know, surprise people and let it be a pleasant surprise when you show up, you know, as your best self. Um, I know that, you know, being a minority, being a female, being a, a service-disabled veteran, um, I often surprise people when I speak to them about the work that I do and my past experience and where I've been and where I'm trying to go. And that is not typical. That is not quote unquote normal for someone to want to focus on the marginalized the disabled, the underserved and the underrepresented, making that the focus of my attention and being able to back it up with past experience and new success stories uh, that have happened in those spaces. And for them, even on a small scale, if you can leave a positive impression on someone and that is what's going to have the lasting impact you're looking for. Uh, one of the things we're trying to do is to start those positive ripple effects mm -hmm. that can make a positive impact beyond just that first encounter. You know, we people go on LinkedIn and Facebook and Twitter and, and Instagram, and you make those connections and you see those second, third, and fourth level connections, and you have no idea how far your positive impact will go. So if you can right. make that with a person by be, showing up as your authentic self and you know, represent presenting that, you know, when you're speaking with someone, then you're, you're making a bigger, bigger impact than you originally thought. Well, I totally agree. I think that's why I always do my best to always, I believe in, when it comes to branding, because of what I do, right, I always want to make sure that the most people are going to connect to you. First time I feel going to connect to you is always going to be online because these days, it's just what it is, right? Most of the time, mm -hmm. it's going to always be that online experience. So my goal is to, when you ask, you have that online experience, that when you connect with me offline, this the use the user experience or the customer consumer experience, whatever you want to call it, is pretty much the same. I mean, that's how you know your brand is pretty solid all the way around, right? So whether we all whether we all want to believe it or not, all of us have personal brands. All of us do. We may not think we do, but we all have a personal brand, you know. What do people say about you when you're not in the room? Right. You know. <laughs> So we all have a brand, whether we think about it or not, you know, and, and I so I want people when they think about, you know, Darrell Peter and think about Double M Angel Marketing Group, that they have a positive experience. Now, look, we're working with creatives, some creatives are delusional, some creatives expect so much, and those so some people you just can't really help. You know what I mean? Like, but for the most part, the experiences that most people have with me are always nine out of nine times out of ten are gonna be positive experiences. You know, and I always try to show, like you said, it's my authentic self every single time. 
<laughs> I, I kind of chuckled when you said some creatives are delusional because part of that, it's, it's not just creatives, Durrell. <laughs> um, I, I come across lots of young people, even people who are older, yeah. who think they want to be part of uh, an industry or a profession. Okay. And all they know is what they've seen on television, on mm -hmm. ads and social media, right? Yeah. And uh, part of what we do with the virtual internship program is give them a taste of reality. Is this really what you want to go to school for? Is this really a, a certification that you want to go after? Is this really the work that you want to do 35 to 50 hours a week? Yeah. And in many cases, and it's, you know, some people may say, oh, that's not a good, a good key performance indicator or metric to put out there. But probably 30% of those that start the internship program with us don't finish because they come to terms with the fact that the job they thought they wanted, that dream job is not what they had in mind. Right. You know, everyone, you, you look at game design yeah. and you look at animation and you look right. at music and you look at becoming a writer. It's great when your name's on the cover. It's right. great when it's, you know, like at full sale, you see those names and the credits, mm -hmm. you know, at the end. Mm -hmm. Do you realize the type of work that goes into building out those productions? Right. Do you realize what it really takes to do this work? My husband's been in IT for 30 years. He's prior yeah. Navy. I'm prior Coast Guard. Right. So 30 years starting off as a crypto tech and people are just like, oh, I can do IT work. And then they see behind the scenes of the work that he really does. And they're like, their mind is blown. And they realize I can't hang with you. I can't do that. Right, right. right. The, the internship program is an opportunity for them to get a taste of what right. that profession is really all about. Mm -hmm. Determine if that is something you want to commit the next two to three or five years to before you sign, you know, to yourself to a contract that you right. don't fully understand. Right. And um, my for my master's, that was what my research was on, my capstone. Okay. Both for military. For college freshmen and young adults entering the workforce, they think they know what they want. Yeah. They unfortunately don't have, you know, a good pool of resources to help them discover what their vocational and their passionate uh, goals are. Right. So right. you have college, you know, college recruiters, they have a quota to fill. Mm -hmm. They could care less about what your hopes and dreams are and what right. good fit is. Military yeah. recruiters, they have a quota to fill. You may come in thinking you're going to be a mechanic and they're like, look, I need this bosun's mate, you know, position filled. That's where you're going. Yeah. Then you have, um, you've probably been ghosted by a recruiter or two. Yeah. They have one goal in mind, fill the slot. They don't care. It's a warm body that halfway understands how to do the job and they're ready to move on. Yeah. But what ends up happening is whether it's through an internship or early recruitment, you have young people or young impressionable minds that are jaded after a very short time because no one took the time to really get to, they didn't understand what they were getting themselves into. Right. And the, the organization, whether it be the military, uh, academic or corporate, they haven't taken the time to get to know their candidates. Right. You have a mismatch. You have uh, a failure to connect the dots between desire, capabilities and passion and then after for military, after that first four years, 
they many will flee the military like it's on fire right if you are in college how many people change their college majors before they graduate right if they graduate right that's, and then, that, that's a that's a whole <laughs> that's a whole another conversation <laughs> but then we have you know people who get jobs and after less than a year they're ready to move on why it's the same situation playing out they think they understand what the job really is until you get in there and start doing the work yeah. you really don't know what you're getting yourself into and so our internship program is an, an accelerated program right. to let them get that hands-on experience and then make the decision about whether they want to commit their time and attention to that profession that's awesome well, i think that's great man i think i think it's great to know like i remember so um when i got into full sale and so vocal rehab Vocal rehab, I said before, had paid for my schooling before, from 2003 when I started college all the way up to 2007, and then I took a little break and then went and then went back to school again in 2013. That's when I went to Full Sail, mm-hmm. and you know, people who don't know what rehab does, they only pay pay at the state level, so right. whatever money. Whatever the Pell Grant money and the money that they use is the same money, comes from the same pocket. It's no different. You know, the difference is if whatever you qualify, if you qualify for Pell Grant, then whatever whatever money's needed after Pell Grant, then we'll be able to take the money and they'll, they'll, they'll pay the rest of the balance. I, so I remember um, telling them I wanted to go to full sale because this is when they had <laughs> reopened my case after, you know, I'm like, I left my job. I'm like, yeah, left the job. The call center job was working. So I, said, I want to go to full sale. So I knew that they weren't probably going to be able to help me because those folks, oh, like you said, both we have only job of both we have is to help people become gainfully employed. They don't necessarily care where. No. You know, once you're gainfully employed, they, you know, you know, they pay the agency or whatever, and then that's pretty much that. So I was, I came to full sale on my own ultimately able to get a free education from full sale, you know, uh, wow. because of my discipline, right? So I, I remember going in there not knowing how I was going to pay for it, you know, to leave to graduating and being able to get my student loans forgiven because of my disability. You know, so, so that that wouldn't work out. But I knew I knew graduating. So once I graduated, uh, we have tried to place me with this company called The Job Shop. It was a family-owned business, and they they basically a job advocacy agency. And I knew that they couldn't place people in, in any job they entertain because most of their clients are are just trying to just place them at like a brother co-factory, like folding clothes. So and then yes. they, you know, so I knew that they couldn't help me. You know, ultimately, what they did was they ended up they they asked me to come. They asked me. I graduated in February February of 2015, and in August. They, I was originally a client with them first, and then they called me back and asked me to come work for them for like six months. And ultimately, it was, I mean, all I basically did was like help them find jobs and things like that, real basic stuff. What they did was they used the money that the state paid them to basically pay, to pay me part-time. Okay. And that's kind of how that worked. And then at the region, so December of 15, uh, they were going to t- go go on break for the holidays, and they were supposed to call me back um, to come back to work around January, February of, of sixteen. They never did, you know. And so I was kind of so that's the last time I ever punched the clock in the room. 
FCC and I just kind of been doing my thing. But and when I like I try to tell people like because of my disability, I'm limited on where I can live, where I can go. So I've kind of had to create my own opportunity from Orlando. I would yeah. love to have been in LA or been in some other and go work for a company and, and but I've kind of always had to do kind of freelance it, do it do it a different type of way. And it's been really, really hard. But I, I love I honestly love helping people. I love coaching, consulting, I love one on one teaching, I love all that. The problem with that is is that's hard to scale. So Yes. Everybody's trying to go into the, the online course thing and like you know, and, and that's not necessarily really one of my favorite things. I mean, I feel like everybody's going down that path because they feel like it's the most profitable path. Because the, educa- the, the educational industry, the course industry is a, is, a, is a very profitable industry. Yes. But, but you know, but it also takes a lot of work. Like you were saying before, it takes a lot. Do you really know what it takes to actually do? It's easy to get caught up in what the, the numbers are people are making up, but it's like, do you really know how much work they have to put in to even make that happen? You know yes. what I mean? And so they realize that maybe this is something you don't want to do. So for me, um, you know, like I said, I, I continue to do the coaching one-on-one and then use my relationships to help artists, whether it be music promotion or um, digital distribution, things like that. But you know, for me, a lot of times, what I really, so I really, really enjoy is sharing knowledge. And that's... That that that's my most favorite part, but also what's tough is most. And I help new artists, so usually when you help a new artist, most of them don't have any money. So <laughs> that is so now you're trying to figure out what number works. Like I was telling my roommate the other day, like he's a basketball referee. He's a basketball referee. He's really good at it. But like I told him, I said, dude, all you have you all you got to do is show up. Yeah, you're certified. You got your certification to go work here, but you don't have to go actually build a league, <laughs> find the players <laughs> to play in the league, get the coaches. Like you just have to make sure that your ref is your 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 uh your guys are good, you're properly certified. Do what you gotta do and you just gotta you get to go score work and make money. I mean it's it's not as simple as just me calling up somebody getting them to pay me five hundred dollars a month on my retainer cost. Right. <laughs> you know, so it's it's not that. So I'm very confident what I do. I'm very knowledgeable about what I do. But it's 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 not as easy to just say, hey, you know, you should hire. Me. <laughs> yes. <laughs> you know what I mean. So you know, I, I, go ahead. There's definitely, especially with young creatives, um, you know, going to the full sale virtual events or or others and connecting with them and helping them realize the work that goes into finding the work as well. Um, Something that is not well done at at any collegiate um, entity is networking. And networking is more than just sending out a hundred invites to people who you've never met before and saying, you know, connect with me. And and now I'm gonna ask you about a job. Even our interns, you know, explaining to them how to network with intent and really building relationships. That's what it's about. It's not about how many followers you can get. Uh, You can have lots of followers, but no quality connections. How do you connect the two so that you can start building a network that gives you a return on investment that, well, is, is mutually beneficial, not just one way. And so 
especially after COVID. Um, I came across so many creatives that were finding it extremely challenging to find work opportunities. And one thing I pointed out to them was, you know, do you understand your craft? Do you fully understand your industry? Then do you understand that there are other industries, there are other pockets of the business industry that you can start, you know, seeping into where you can both hone your skill set and be paid and uh, things they never considered. You know, I I worked at NASA for a short time uh, at the NASA Safety Center here, and I worked with photographers and um, web designers and graphic designers and graphic artists. And, you know, they were all creative folks, but they worked in a very technical area. same individuals working in healthcare, same working in, you know, the financial district. So definitely helping people to realize what their power really is, what their opportunities really are, has been something that I've noticed probably in the last two years that it's, it's not really getting out there the way we thought, like the assumptions we made with this, oh, they know how to do this once they get out there. (laughs) And coming across lots of that in the, with entrepreneurs, startups, and small businesses from socioeconomically disadvantaged backgrounds, whether it be disabled, minority, um, due to uh, financial situations, all of them are having the same sorts of challenges with finding opportunities and, and finding a way to, to break in to different industries or different businesses. Yeah. So I, I think it's a, it's definitely more widespread than I originally thought. Yeah, you know, it, it, it's so true. There's so, because again, there's not, there's not people even like me, like there's not really that many music executives who you can say, hey, they've got CP uh, or um, they've got this disability and, and, and they look like me. And right. They've created a platform and a, and, and a pathway um, so that I can not necessarily follow exactly the same path, but more of like, okay, I, they, they kind of put a blueprint together, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you, so you don't see a lot of that. You don't see, so there's not really that many people to follow, you know, that can sit there and say, hey, that person looks like me. Right. And, and, and I can. I can, you know, they can they either can mentor me from afar or whatever it is, you know, and kind of show me the way of how to do it. Because, you know, in our business, you know, I, again, I was telling my roommate, everything we do in the music industry is not about payment. I can't, like, this is what people don't understand about entertainment. Like, it's not, every every single time is not a transactional thing. It right. work like that. You do a lot of things to build a relationship that doesn't necessarily always lead to money right away. Right. And that's and, and people who are not inside the industry don't understand that. They think, well, where did you go today? Did you make money for us? It's not about that because I'm having to think about the long-term relationship. Mm-hmm. I can't think about the one-off relationship. Yes. The one-off relationship does me no good in the entertainment business, you know? Corporate, a corporate, the corporate mentality or traditional business mentality doesn't apply in entertainment. 
But unfortunately, that is the model that's most prominent and everyone thinks it's a, a yeah. one size fits all. Yeah, it's like, oh, well, oh, did you go do that? Oh, how much money did you make? Do you go on this conference? Do you go on this trip? Like for instance, we went on, you know, my artist Xavier Keys went to Richmond, Virginia last week to to perform at the Richmond International Film and Music Fest. It wasn't a paid thing. You go there to make relationships, people see you and to build like, that's just how this thing works. You know, that's why people always say to me in, in the entertainment business, you know, it's a long play. Everything is a long play. You're not gonna, it's one of the most expensive businesses to be in and one of the least, one of the most, one of the least, uh, one of the hardest to make money in, you know, consistently, you know? Right. And so people, you know, so, you know, so that's why you probably see a lot of families, a lot of people like from other cultures who are education is important. Don't ever want their kids going into the creative, creative space because there's just a life of an artist. It just, you know, it's not a glamorous life. No, but that's what, that's what's presented in the world. That's what the big names are presenting, yeah. you know, um, just educating someone in the creative industry about how money is made, but also how much money is made in the industry versus how much you're paid. Yeah. Money made doesn't equal money paid. Right. Exactly. <laughs> and everyone has to get paid, not just the headliner. And getting them to understand that as early on in a process as possible is really important because we have so many dreams being dashed because they see the hype, they see Vivo, they see the YouTube, they see the award ceremonies, and they think that's going to be me next. That's going to be me in two months, you know, and right. there is no overnight success. And unfortunately, those overnight successes often are one-offs. Yeah. And they don't last long, you know, they, they burn out extremely quickly and you don't want to be in that category. Understand the business, understand the mechanics of how things work. Uh, that's the same for any industry. Don't just get caught up in the labels and the titles, really understand how this business works, how relationships in this business work, because um, what works in healthcare does not work in the game design industry, right. uh, what worked over there in music may not work over here, you know, even in film. Right. So take the time to understand the mechanics, the technical aspects of the work being done, but the soft skills development is, is, is lacking. Um, people want to get certifications, but they don't know how to talk to people. They don't know how to collaborate. They don't know how to work with one another. Uh, one thing that I focus on with all of my teammates, project management 101. We have so many people don't realize you're working on multiple projects. You have no project management skill or know-how, and you wonder why things are falling apart. Um, you need to learn to organize your thoughts and your work and prioritize so that you don't burn out, but also so that you can have more successes in your portfolio. Right. right. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So, you know, it's all true. You know, people just don't understand that. Now, are some skills transferable from industry to industry? Yes. Yes. But it doesn't necessarily, like you said, it doesn't necessarily mean that it's, you're going to easily just get paid. Like I tell people all the time, there's, if your only goal is to make money, then don't get it. Don't go into the creative industry. 
Can it just, no. just don't go into it. Like it's just not going to be because it's it, it really is a life of you do this more for passion. Like yes, mm-hmm. you have to find ways to make money. You got to find ways to generate. And I think I've been fortunate where like the people who are serious, you know, and you know people who are serious. Like for me, like so when I when a potential client comes in the clinic, I always give them a free a free thirty minute consultation. More because I'm interviewing them just as much as they're interviewing me. Right. Or because I didn't know, are you somebody I want to work with? Are you somebody I want to ultimately do business with? Right. And because again, so some of them have unrealistic, unrealistic expectations. A lot of them, have, a lot of them really do have unrealistic expectations <laughs> when it comes to uh, what they expect, you know, right. what should be expected. And I always tell people that this is art. Art is completely subjective. Nobody knows or can tell you what something's going to be. Um, just, uh, what's, who's going to like this or who's going to like, who's not going to like it. We don't know. We just try to be vessels to people. So I could, I, I totally get what you're saying. I mean, it, it's, mm-hmm. it, it's, it, it's really, it's a mindset shift. It's a mindset preparation of like, what is it that you really want to do? And, and, and I, as I mentor a lot of full cell kids, I always tell them, it's going to be hard when you get out, when you get out and get out in the field, because, you know, you, you full cell does a great job of, of insulating students while they're students. So you feel protected in yeah. the bubble on campus. <laughs> when you get, to, when you get in the, when you actually get in the field and start, you know, having, you know, Putting what because there's only so much you're gonna learn in four weeks. Yes. You know what I mean? Yes. There's only so much you're gonna learn. So much you're gonna learn, right? So it's a bait, it's a it's you're really only learning the basics of the basics, mm-hmm. especially in undergrad. In, in in a master level program, they kind of it's more application, they kind of expect you to already yes. have a a foundation of what it is that you're doing. So you're not necessarily approaching it from the perspective of teaching you from from zero right but right. so so really when you get out there in the field yeah you're gonna you're gonna deal with a lot of a lot of crap and a lot of times the students the students were like especially during hall of fame week you know i fortunately because my my very first month at full sale was hall of fame i very i believe my very first yeah my very first month was hall of fame month right at full sale my, my, when i first started so i'm like Wow, this is pretty cool. They, the way they shut the campus down and and um, and bring the bring the grads back and the and share the knowledge openly and honestly. I mean, you know, that's one thing I love about full cell. Like, people, people, people tell the truth. The, yeah. the, you know, when you they tell, you know, it's sometimes as a, as a, as far as an instructor there, they kind of have you kind of have to be a little bit a little politically correct. But when it comes to um, the people who are just grads but are just giving back, they just can tell the truth. Mm-hmm. So it's a little bit more freedom of like, hey, whatever you think it is, like whatever you thought it was, like you said, it's not what it is. Whatever you thought it was going to be is oftentimes not what it is. And sometimes a lot of the students will go, go to a Hall of Famer and say, hey, well, give me a job. I'm like, can't do that because this how they <laughs> this how they they got they're still gonna take out to take care of their families and their people. So why, yes. why would they give you something you haven't earned? You know, like you know, they'll, they'll may recommend you and to come and work with them on a project, 
But that's because they've done, they vetted you, they've done their research on you, they've right. you know, that type of deal. So, but yeah, it, it, it's, it's, it, it very much is um, the, 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 the disadvantaged disabled community is very much a community I feel is often forgotten, which is why I love the work that you do. Mm-hmm. I want to get a little bit into, we'll get out of here. Um, so you you created a technology called the RFP Quick. Yes. A new accessible solution. For, so so talk to me about that. What, what exactly goes into that? Okay, so um, my, you know, rewind, my past experience, my background, uh, when I left the NASA, I was the manager of learning and development uh, for the, the contract I was on. Right. And government contracting is a, an amazing avenue for many disadvantaged businesses who want to grow and grow exponentially. Uh, most people from you know my community growing up in Brooklyn have no idea what the SBA is. They don't know what the Small Business Administration is. They don't know that they can legitimize their side hustles and get a business license and go after uh, private, corporate, and government contract opportunities that are specifically set aside for them. There are millions of dollars set aside every year for businesses owned by the socioeconomically disadvantaged, minorities, women, uh, Native Americans, and you have to get through the process. You have to register with the government. You have to get into the Small Business Administration's um, Small Business Database. You also have to understand what RFP is, which is a request for proposals. And you have to submit a proposal to win these contracts that are actually set aside for people like you and I. The RFP Quick. I literally have been brought to tears by the RFP process myself. Um, I have a bachelor's in you know, criminal justice, uh, emergency homeland security. I have my master's degree and that process is still uh, capable of kicking my butt. So it's not about um, just submitting any old thing. The RFP quick solution is designed for those who are disadvantaged, who have a small bit of small budget or little understanding about the government or private contracting process. The RFP quick is designed for the disadvantaged, but also those who have disabilities. We are building it with accessibility and inclusion in mind at the forefront. So if you are visually impaired or blind, or if you're not very familiar with the RFP process because you're new to be, you know, being a business owner, uh, the solution will walk you through step-by-step, step, ask you questions, fill in the blank. And when you are done, you hit export and you actually have a great um, standardized approach for developing proposals for contract opportunities. The thing that sets our solution apart is it works with screen readers and those who rely on keyboard navigation with assistive technology, which is often not the case for many business applications. Uh, unfortunately, many business applications are not all that accessible. Uh, just because you can zoom in on the screen does not make it accessible. Um, our interns and our team members are the ones who are developing this solution and they themselves have disadvantaged backgrounds and they themselves have disabilities. 
they are the ones testing the screen readers. They are the ones testing for functionality and user experience. And so we know for a fact that what we're developing will work for the community and we're doing it for a fraction of the price that big business and big tech is charging these small enterprises. Uh, our goal is to use the revenue from the sales of this solution to keep funding development efforts for the disabled community, as well as our internship program, which offers the paid opportunities to those from the community. Wow, that's awesome. That is so cool. I mean, like you said, this and, and some people don't even know this stuff even exists. No. You know what I mean? I mean, Darrell, come on. Was anyone coming into your neighborhood from the government saying you can take this barber business and legitimize it and cut hair on base? Yeah. No. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, man. It, it's so, and like, yeah. People ask me, they said, well, what can you sell to the government? I said, a better question is what you can't, what can't you sell to the government? Yeah. And everything the government sells, private industry sells, or I should say buys. Yeah. Yeah, you know, you're not going to have to talk because maybe, maybe <laughs> there's something, you know, that I can do from, <laughs> from what my gifts are, you know, and you and I can have a conversation. And, and, I definitely see overlap with our accessible online game as well we we are looking for unique music and creatives work with us there too again disabled community disadvantaged community we're beta testing our first accessible online game now that's very cool that is very cool yeah so we definitely have to have to have to definitely have more and more conversations. Oh my gosh, we could we could be here forever today. <laughs> I want to respect your time and thank you for being here. Thank you I mean, for this, having me. Yeah, this is this is just a really great. We're gonna have to come back and do a part two and get into this into just a little bit more because there's so much more of of you that I want to talk about. But I would have been here for another hour. <laughs> <laughs> so you know. Um, but yeah, this has been great. So where can, where, can, where can people find and connect with you on socials and things like that? Or, or they want um, if you are specifically interested in business and internship opportunities, our website is uh, www.the3tech.com. Um, I always tell people to look me up on LinkedIn. I spend most of my time there. Uh, I also am on uh, Discord. <laughs> we just started using Discord. Uh, if you look up 3S Tech CEO or 3S Tech Create, you will find me. And um, definitely we can use my Linktree link. Uh, my handle is 3S Tech Create and 3S Tech CEO. Wonderful, wonderful guys. This has been another great episode of the Encourage Inspire podcast. And I mean, this is this is what we do here, man. We, most of the time, you know, we, we, we talk music, but but today was cool to to, to give people in my community, uh, my disabled community, a voice to let us let, again let us know, let people know that's listening to this, that people like us are viable people can yes. create amazing things. And not to dismiss us because of lack of a better term, because of ignorance, you know, <laughs> and a lack of a lack of knowledge and education and expertise. So guys, it's been another great episode. And this is your host, Jarrell Peer. Until next time, I'm out of here. Peace.